We'd like to continue our study. As most of you know, we have started on the teachings of the Apostle Paul, the 13 epistles that he wrote. And uh, we're reading them chronologically. And the first book that most scholars believe that he wrote was 1 Thessalonians. And um, today we would like to look at the coming of Christ. It's called also the second coming of Christ. The reason I left off second By the way, if you don't have an outline, please raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure that you get an outline on the sermon. The reason I just put for the topic, the coming of Christ is because just like the coin that you'll have in your pocket, there are two sides to the coming of the Lord. There is the rapture, what we call the rapture of the church. And then there is the second coming of Christ. And the reason that the Apostle Paul spent much of the writings in 1 Thessalonians concerning the coming of the Lord is because the Thessalonians were perplexed about those that had died, the loved ones, their loved ones that had died before the coming of Jesus Christ or the rapture of the church takes place and they didn't know what would happen to them. And they were very concerned about that. So Paul wrote this book to them. One reason was to explain to them what would happen to those that had died in Christ. So if you will, read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Paul writes to the Thessalonians saying, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will will by no means precede, one says prevent, precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, And with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, Paul says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then he gives this last sentence of this last statement. He says, therefore comfort one another with these words. May the Lord add his blessings to this reading. I want you to read the introduction along with me. It is one of the best. It is so explanatory. It is so uh, insightful. So if you will look at the introduction 
and read with me as I read it. The most certain thing in the entire world is the return of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Can I, may I read that again? The most certain thing in the entire world is the return of Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of promises concerning the return of the Lord. In the New Testament alone, the events related to Christ's coming are mentioned somewhere around 300 times. Jesus told his disciples he would come again. I like this in John chapter 14, verse 3. He says to his disciples, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I perhaps will come again. Didn't say it that way, did it? He says, I will, this is from his own lips, come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. So he said this to his disciples. When Jesus was taken up to heaven, the angels said he would come in like manner. And that's found in Acts chapter 1 and certainly verse 11. The writer of Hebrews said he will come and will not tarry. Again, amen. He will come and will not tarry. James wrote that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And you'll find that in James chapter 5, verse 8. Critics have denied it. Cynics have laughed at it. Scholars have ignored it. Liberal theologians have tried to explain it away. And fanatics have tried to pervert it. Some sarcastically ask, where is the promise of his coming. And Peter even spoke of that in his specific writing. But he is coming. Amen. There's an old song we used to sing. There is going to be a meeting in the air in the sweet, sweet by and by. And whether we believe it, whether it's become old hat, whether we deny it, whether we, as the critics, try to pervert it, nothing will change the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. The return of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, is one of the major themes in the Bible. And how anyone can deny it is beyond me. Now, the timing and certain things that surround the rapture and the coming of the Lord, I can understand where some might believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. They might get that a little confusing and confused. But the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again is well known. And uh, we believe that. First of all, he is coming personally. Aren't you glad for that? He's not just sending someone else to take you and I away, but he himself. Zechariah says it this way, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. 
which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it shall move toward the south. Other words, and then there are other that speak of Jesus Christ coming personally. Not only is he coming personally, but he is coming publicly. Now understand what I'm talking about at this particular time in the sermon is about the second coming, not necessarily the rapture. When we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, mainly Paul is writing in the two books, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, about the rapture of the church. And it is easy to get it confused, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And you study it, and when you study it, you understand it. There is first of all, and there, by the way, there is nothing that needs to happen. There is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. It can take place any time, any moment, and he is coming. The rapture of the church is going to take place. Following that, seven years later, will be Jesus Christ is what we call the second coming of the Lord. He's coming publicly. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen, so be it. He's coming. Now, will every eye see him at the rapture? I don't think so. For that shall be instantaneously. For as the lightning flashes, the Bible says, from the east to the west, so shall the coming, the rapture of the church be. You say, Pastor, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You're right. I'm glad you know that. But the word's caught up that the Bible speaks of, if you study that in the Greek and the Latin, it will be rapture, the rapture of the church. No, I don't believe everyone will see him. All of a sudden, there will be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world will simply disappear. Gone. Hallelujah. You say, you believe that's going to take place? Mm Mm-hmm. I really do. And I believe coming back with him will be the loved ones that have gone and died before. Amen. I'm kind of excited about the return of Jesus Christ. I think we ought to think about it more, read about it more, talk about it more, and certainly believe it more. Because he's coming. He's coming personally. He's coming publicly. The, 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 the uh, second coming. And he's coming powerfully. The first time he came, he came born of a virgin in a stable in a lonely old town called Bethlehem. But this time, he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Hallelujah. 
He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's coming back again on a white horse. The Bible says in Luke 21, verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You shake your fist in the face of God all you want to. You try to remove him from the public arena all you want to. You laugh, you scoff, you disbelieve it all you want to. But one day, Jesus Christ is coming in power and glory. Woo! And if you're visiting here and you don't know me, you can say, boy, he really believes that, don't he? Mm -hmm. I really do. With all the promises, you know the promises in the Bible, in the Old Testament, of his first coming, being born of a virgin, the way it was, the way it happened. There were many promises concerning that. Out of those, if you just took eight of those prophecies, for them to come to pass like they came about, to pass is one in trillions. That's better than the lottery. I mean, works harder than the lottery. But he's coming. And we better be ready. And you can be ready. And you can be excited about the return of Jesus Christ personally, publicly, powerfully, and unexpectedly. The Bible says in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows. They've tried to know. And they've, some people have set it up, sold all their belongings and moved to a mountain. You hear somebody saying they know when Jesus is coming. Now we can know about the time he comes, around the time that he'll come. Because the signs, and we'll get to those, point to that. But no one knows He's not only coming personally, publicly, powerfully, unexpected, but there are going to be certain definite signs that's going to point to the coming of Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to commit yourself to a study of that, you can go to the 24th and 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, and you can go to the 13th chapter of the book of St. Mark, and then look over in St. Luke in chapter 21, and he tells all about it. In fact, in Matthew 24, 3 and 8, Jonathan, I'll go back up to the top. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming, speaking to Jesus, and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. One of the things that he spoke of often concerning the return of his return is the deception. How much deception there would be in the world. But he said, take heed. Not no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. 
and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end, he says, is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places, and all these things are the beginning of sorrows. We see those. You see, Pastor, there, there have always been wars, true. There's always been earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and natural disasters, true. But I believe as he is getting ready to come back, it intensifies. And certainly the immorality and the sin and the evil is certainly intensified. It's almost, if not like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like Noah's day. In fact, he says, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And so you can look at it and parallel those and compare those and certainly get an understanding that we're living in the last days. Now, I know that's something you won't hear much of today. But just because people don't preach and teach it and talk about it and read about it and think about it doesn't mean it's not so. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. Notice the signs. The Bible speaks in chapter 24 Verses 32 and 35 of these signs, as the budding of the trees signifies the coming of summer, the signs described by Jesus will give warning of his coming. So it does not need to take us unaware. Wow, I didn't know it. How many of you know the Super Bowl's played tonight? You know it. You've seen the advertising. They talk about it. They talk about it. They talk about it. And they Talk about it. We should know there's going to be religious deception. My God. When I preached this 40 years ago, I thought about religious deception, and it was, but now it outranks everything I've ever considered and thought would ever be. Religious deception, social and political upheaval. I don't have to say anything about 9-11 and what's happened and what has happened in the Middle East and Northern Africa and all over the world. I don't have to tell you what's happened in our schools with all the killings. I don't have to tell you all the things that's going on with immoral, that, that is immoral. Natural calamities, disloyalties, persecution. Persecution, lining them up, cutting their heads off. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I don't know that the church, that the Christians have ever been persecuted. I'm talking about in the way that they are today, like they're being persecuted today. Left out, scorned out, scorned at, isolated, marginalized of the whole nine yards. Persecution of believers, apostasy. Could I spend an hour there? Yeah. We're living in a day of backsliding. People falling away from the church. People falling away from God. Those that one time knew what it was to serve God, being loyal and faithful. They were faithful in church. Now you have to bring out whatever to get people to come to church anymore. 
And we won't get into that. Apostasy, the rebirth of Israel. I think one of the signs, one of the greatest signs of the return, soon return of Jesus Christ is the rebirth of Israel. That happened back in 1948. It is amazing what has happened. All the whole world, the Soviet Union, China, the United States, all the the Middle East nations, their focus is on that little, small land of Israel. And many people want to wipe them off the face of the map. But you and I are encouraged to pray for Israel and to support the nation of Israel. Sure, they're away from God today, but there'll be a day they're going to return back to God. God has not forsaken the people and the children of Israel. The purpose of the signs. Let's say, Brother Don, why all these things? And listen, we could spend, I could spend weeks on this page, weeks on this return. But I want us to notice the purpose of these signs. First of all, to help interpret the present, not necessarily forecast the future. What's happening? Why, why, why? Why all the stuff? And we're not to be confused and we're not to be worried. We're simply to be ready. I think the word is watch, watch, watch. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Second of all, to prevent us from falling into undue fear and worry when we see this occurring. Don't worry about it. Put it in the hands of God and know it is coming. Know these things are going to happen. And then when they happen, the world won't know all about it. And I'm talking about all the signs. But we will know. So the church will be prepared for them when they occur. So you're here today. I'm telling you about it. Of course, you've heard about it. If not all of us, most of us have. We need to be ready. And when he comes and when these things happen, we can't say, well, wow, I didn't know that. You know it. You've been forewarned. You've been preached to. I mean, it's important that the church be prepared. Number four, to stimulate to watchfulness. To stimulate to watchfulness. We are to take heed. And when you look at all those verses there that I have typed out and we see, we should watch, we should watch, we should be ready. And then prophecies in, I love this Jack Hayford statement. Prophecies in the good and God's word are not given to fascinate us with interesting ideas or speculative uh, speculative uh, thoughts about the possible ways of their fulfillment, they are given to motivate us and to move us to a discerning lifestyle. I believe if the church really believed in the coming of Jesus Christ and the nearness of that coming, they'd have a greater motivation to live according to the word of God. Amen? So that's the reason for this. I list four snares here. In fact, if you read these, it's very, very interesting. And there is about two months of study 
in these four snares that you and I are to watch for. Jesus, the Bible, the 24th and the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew lists these parables plus others. But these four parables were given to help you and I, to help us as a church to understand a little bit more about being prepared for this great, great occasion, the meeting in the air. Loved ones being joined back together. The dead in Christ rising first. And then we which are alive shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's why he wrote these parables. For us to watch. First of all, you have Matthew chapter 24. And verse 48, it says, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. It's talking about the good servant that is occupied, but then there's the evil servant that knows that his master is, he left, but he is coming back. He says, My Lord delayeth his coming. This certainly, my friend, illustrates a view of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can fold our hands, we can sit on our seats, and we can say, well, you know, I, I've heard this all my life. I just don't believe he's coming. We may not say that, but our lifestyle speaks loud and clear whether we believe or act like we believe that Jesus Christ. Notice the causes Again, this is the parable of the good servant, the faithful servant, and of the evil servant. The evil servant says he's delayed his coming. The cause of that is the wealth and the materialism. The cause of that is the pursuit of all of that. Another cause of this attitude that, uh, of indifference is the familiarity with it. I said to you a while ago, we've heard it over and over again. I'm familiar with this, brother Don, and I don't want to hear it anymore. First of all, I'm not sure I believe it because I've been looking for him all of my life. When I was nine years old, I heard this preached. I believed it then, and I certainly believe it now. I believe that we are indifferent because of selfishness. We want our own way, do our own thing, make our own living and have it our own way. We need to say, Jesus Christ, you're my master. I want to hear you. I want to know what you're saying. I certainly want to follow you. The results of that is a lack of zeal when it comes to Bible reading, when it comes to church attendance, when it comes for us to us praying, when it comes to us worshiping God. If we really thought this morning that Jesus Christ was come to come in today, this place, I mean if people, this place would fill up and when Brother Matt got up to lead worship, we would worship like we have never worshiped before. Oh, we'd get serious with God. We get real serious with God. We wouldn't be indifferent. 
We wouldn't drag in church at the right just when it's time to start and leave. And Oh, my Lord, we would just be, it would make a big difference. And I pray God to give us a shot in the, that spiritual shot in the arm that'll help us to be more aware and motivated in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Lack of attendance in the church, prayer, worship, and daily witnessing. If I knew that Jesus was coming this afternoon, I got a few folks, I'd really, I'd get on the phone call. No, I'd get in my car and go see him. How many, how many of you have, have someone that you, if you knew or thought, really thought that he was, that you'd just like to get to him before that time came? There's probably all of us have someone. Listen, listen to me. Read my lips. He's coming at four o'clock this afternoon. You gotta be ready. Oh, no, 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 no. Come on, let's get on our knees and pray. We would be witnessing for the Lord. And I believe that God is calling us to witness for God. There should not be a Sunday morning that goes by in this church. There's not someone saved. And there should not be a day that goes by during the week that we as the church and we as believers and spirit feel saints that we're not praying for folks to get saved. God saved. God, help me to have a burden for the unsaved, for the lost, for the unchurched. God, help us. But when we are indifferent, we don't have a zeal to witness for the Lord. So that's, that's the spirit of this very evil servant. He's saying he's delayed, it's coming. And then the second one is neglect. Probably there's not a one of us that haven't heard of the five foolish and five wise virgins. The five wise and five foolish virgins. Now these were, these were ten girls that they were going to attend a wedding of their friend. And so weddings back then were very, very interesting, very long. They lasted for days. And so they would go out and, 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 and the bridegroom and his entourage would walk from his house to her house. And so they would walk and they would joyfully talk and talk about the wedding and they, they were just very excited about the wedding. And people would walk with them. Well, they didn't have street lights like we have today and cars with lights. It was dark. So they had to have some means of light. So they carried a lantern. Well, sometimes the walk was long. And so not only did they have to have oil in their lamps, they had to have excess oil, another container. And so they started out walking. And the Bible says they all slumbered and slept. They all slumbered and slept. I, I believe and I've always looked at this parable and said, Lord, I'm not too sure I understand this parable. But what I think I tried to do was make more out of it than it was. It is simply a parable 
to cause you and I to read it and for us to be watchful. Watchful. It was simply 10 girls. Now someone says the oil represented the Holy Spirit. I'm not too sure it did. But the fact is they all slumbered and slept and then they woke up because they heard people coming. Oh, we're almost there. We're going, we're going to the bride's house. And so they got up and they couldn't see how they walk, see how the, 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 the walk, so they trimmed their lamps. Well, five of them had excess, excess oil. Five of them didn't. And so the five that didn't, they uh, said, hey, would you give us some oil? Do we might have enough oil to get to the wedding? They said, no, if we do that, we wouldn't have enough uh, ourselves. Let me tell you something. I think one thing that this parable says is that every person is responsible for their own relationship with God. If you're waiting for somebody to provide for you, give it to you. Now we can help, we can pray, we certainly can witness and we can certainly love people. But when it comes to us individually, it's not mom or dad, it's not brother or sister, it's not the pastor's responsibility, it's all, it's each person's responsibility. Make sure you're prepared for this wedding. Make sure you're ready. Don't go around begging somebody else and saying, hey, give me part of yours. You just can't do that. I can't give you Jesus. I can tell you about him. You can accept him. But this is important. And then they all, the, the five that had all, they went and everybody got there and they shut the door and it was it. Well, during the meantime, the five foolish virgins, they went, they bought all and got back. And when they got to the door, they knocked on the door. They wouldn't let them in. Now, if you ain't ready when the rapture comes, you can knock on the door all you want to. You ain't going to get in. God said, no, I'm going to send a flood. He built the ark. His family went in. The Bible says God shut the door. When it started raining, the people came and started pounding on the door. Let me in. But listen, God has shut the door. The time to accept Jesus Christ is right now. Don't wait till tomorrow. The urgency of serving God is now. Today is the what? Day of what? Salvation. And people are putting it off and putting it off. And I see people all the time, oh my God, I didn't realize this. I'm, I'm, I'm going out to eternity. Am I ready? Listen, you need to make your election and call sure today. Today. So you had the spirit of the age was indifference. The spirit of the age was negligence. And then number three, the spirit of the age was self-righteousness. Jesus Christ will come and judge and he will judge the nations and the, the evil people. And he will, he will say, I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't come. Uh, I, I was all of this and, they, and, and you know what they're going to say? When saw we you like that? We didn't see you like that. Boy, isn't that a spirit of, what, what did I say here? Self-righteousness. God, I didn't see you. I didn't see you sick. I didn't see you in prison. 
I didn't see you in the grocery store without Jesus Christ. I didn't see you in all of these. What are you talking to me? What about it? There is a spirit today of self-righteousness. It's me, myself, and I. As long as I have got money, as long as I am, am doing fine myself, you might should finish my sermon, uh, Christy, because you, 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 you were going good on it a while ago, you know. She challenged us. She challenged us. And we need to be challenged, amen? God needs to challenge us this morning. Let me ask you something, and I'm backing up and punning, but let me ask you something. I said that I'll be preaching on the epistles of the Apostle Paul, and I, I gave you the historical background in the book of Acts, and I said, read I said the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, but it really is the 17th chapter of the book of Acts along with this. And then each one of them, we have a a, uh, copy. How many, don't raise your hand. How many of you have read the book of 1 Thessalonians since I've said that? How many of you read the 17th or 18th chapter of the book of Acts? Now I'm challenging you. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but if I don't forget it next week, I will. I'll embarrass you. How many of you know accountability is important? People don't do what you expect. They do what you inspect. And so next week, now don't you stay out because of this. You're not going to read 1 Thessalonians and Acts 17. You better read 2 Thessalonians because I'll probably jump over there next week. But if I ask you to raise your hand, what if I'd ask you to raise your hand this morning? How, how many of you have read the book of First Thessalonians? <clears throat> I want you to sweat a little bit. I don't see this. No, no, what I'm saying, and I, I really am not trying to put anyone on the guilt trip. I, I, I'm just saying we need to be challenged. We need to, we need to read and study the word of God. We don't need to neglect what God has called us to do. And then number four, indolence. Now this is one of my favorite parables. It's, it's a sad parable and it's a challenging parable. The master of the house or the farm went away and he left talents to different ones. One ten, one five, and one what? One When he came back, he says, all right, what have you done with that ability I gave you? What have you done with it? One of them says, I've gained 10. The other one says, I've gained five. But that old boy that had given, he'd given one, he said, oh, I did good. I took it. I knew you were going to require it. I went and dug a hole in the ground and I buried that thing. Let me, you stay right here. I'm going to get it and I'll bring it back to you. Jesus was hard on that fella. He was. The master says, you, you, you just. But here's the talent. Let me ask you something. God's given every one of us talents, right? Abilities. What if he, we stood today before the Lord and he'd ask you, what have you done with the ability that I've given you? Oh, but preacher, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a singer. I'm not this and that and the other. 
Make no mistake about it, God gave every one of us ability to witness to the unsaved that they might be saved. And here we find indolence. I hid my talent. You know why he hid his talent? Because he was lazy. He's just flat lazy. There's no room for people in the kingdom of God to be lazy. Sometimes it's hard work. Somebody says, I, uh, I don't know what I want to do. I know what I want to do. I want to be a preacher. Okay, why? Well, they just work one day a week and, and, uh, and nothing good comes on television that day anyway, you know. No, it takes a lot of hard work. And these are four snares, Sister Judy, if you'll come. These are four snares that we need to be careful of. Don't you allow yourself to get indifferent when it comes to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Don't you allow yourself to neglect and not watch for that day. Don't you allow yourself to fall into that spirit that the world and our culture has fallen into and that is self-righteousness. Am I my brother's keeper? That's for the preacher. That's what we pay the preacher to do is to do those things. And number four, don't you allow yourself to fall into that place of laziness and indolence and complacency. Father, we thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts this great truth. Thank you for the hope that lies in us That we're not like others who have no hope. We have hope. And our hope is rooted and grounded in the word of God. Your word. It has never never one time failed. It is true. It can be trusted. And Lord, this morning we trust your word. And you said you would send your son back again. God, make it real to us this morning. Refire that flame in us concerning the soon return of your son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us. Lord, we pray this prayer this morning and we pray it with earnestness. God, forgive us of our indifference. Help us to be ever fervent in our service to you. God, forgive us of our neglect. Neglect in our Bible. Neglect in our church. Neglect in, dear God, our witnessing. Neglect in our prayer life. God, forgive us this morning. Forgive us, dear God, of that old spirit of self-righteousness. God, I humble myself before you. I don't ask you to humble me, but I humble myself before you. Hear us. Hear our cry. Hear our call. And then, God, I pray against the spirit and the attitude of indolence and apathy, complacency, a disease in Zion. Help us today, dear God. Make this truth more real to us than ever before. In Jesus' name we pray.